It's great to see all of you here. We are in a series uh, called Easter People. And what we've tried to do over the course of the series is to look at some of the people that we hardly ever talk about during the Easter story and sort of observe the interaction between them and Jesus as He was headed to the cross and ultimately the empty tomb. We looked at Lazarus, who was uh, touched by a voice, transformed by a voice. We looked at Malchus, who was uh, an unusual character for us to look at. He was transformed by a touch. We looked at Thomas, whose, whose cynicism was, was transformed by an appearance, a conversation. Last week, John did a, a super job with Nicodemus, who, who was transformed because he, he, he put his faith on the line. But today I want to look at somebody that nobody ever names their kid after. You know, nobody holds a baby and says, oh, Barabbas, Lucifer. You know, nobody uses, there's certain names, you just kind of off the list. And so Barabbas is one of those, and he's, he's not a, a really nice guy. We're going to uh, see that a whole lot in a minute. But, but as I studied and as we have sort of worked our way through the, the series together, one of the things we've noticed is that we started out thinking that the series was going to be about the person, you know, the characters involved. Lazarus, he's kind of interesting. He was dead, now he's not. Malchus, kind of cool, had two ears, didn't have two ears, now has two ears. You know, we, we, the, we thought the emphasis was going to be on the people. But as we have worked our way through as a church family, we've started to notice that the, the real issue is transformation. The, the real issue, the real storyline that comes through here is that Lazarus was not just physically dead, he was spiritually dead, and Jesus brought life. We, we see the honesty of the Scripture. We don't know what Malchus ever did. With, Malchus is the guy in the Garden of Gethsemane who Peter cut his ear off and Jesus put it back. You go read it in Luke or Mark, either one. But the, the, the transformation that took place… And what we end up with with Lazarus is that we don't know what he did with it. We, we have no idea what he did with the gift that was given him. And we come up on this idea of mercy undeserved when we embrace the notion that God's mercies are new every morning, lamentations new every evening. We, we, we touch the faithfulness of God, or, or as the song just said, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Still, you give your love away, the reckless love of God, that, that scandalous grace that He offers us. And so today, I want to talk about Barabbas, who was transformed by mercy, always motivated by love, always pushed by wonder, Sometimes both. And I, I've, I've kind of got a question that I, I want to throw out now and then at the end. Uh, uh, but, but we're talking about mercy today, and we're going to get to the story of Pilate. And he asked the question during that dialogue, what am I supposed to do with this Jesus who's called the Christ? And if there's something I want you to think about for the next ever how long they're going to let me talk before they pull me off of here, 
I want you to think about that. What are we going to do with this Jesus called the Christ? Now, I love stories of mercy. There's, there's lots of them. The most famous, of course, is Le Mis, where Jean Valjean worked in the galleys for almost two decades, and then he is set free, and he's taken in by a priest, and the, 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 the priest is kind to him, showing him nothing but mercy, and he ends up stealing the silver, and the police catch him, bring him back, and the, and the priest says, oh, no, no, I gave him all that silver. And look, here you forgot the candlesticks. It's, a, it's this, this mercy that's extended, and we're, we're kind of inspired by that. There's a story told, I, I don't know if it's true or not, that Napoleon had a policy whenever someone deserted his army. He just had them shot. I guess it cut down on deserters, but uh, certainly eliminated them one by one. But there was a, a deserter who was caught, 17-year-old boy, who happened to be the son of Napoleon's cook. And she begged Napoleon. She said, she said, show him mercy. And Napoleon's response, he doesn't deserve mercy. And she said, that's the point of mercy. No one deserves mercy. And we're beginning to get that picture that mercy is undeserved, grace is undeserved. Someone uh, once said that the definition of mercy is that we don't get what we deserve. And the definition of grace is that we do get what we don't deserve. And so this, this idea of mercy and grace, that, that God understands that we're a deserter, we're a thief, we're a robber, we're, we're all of those things. We deserve nothing, but He gives everything. We don't get something for nothing, we get something from someone. And it's this transaction. Probably the most famous story of grace that even more than La Mis is that of the thief on the cross, that when Jesus was crucified, there were three crosses, and on either side of Him were robbers and thieves. And, and the story in the Scripture is that they just uh, cursed at Him. They, they hurled insults at Him. And as the, the, the reality of death from crucifixion set in, one of the, the thieves there on the cross, he said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? This realization that there was something beyond life and something beyond death. He said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into the kingdom? And Jesus' response, truly I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise, in heaven. Uh, there's this, this incredible act of mercy, this incredible story of mercy, and, and that's kind of where I want to go today. But I want to go through someone who didn't deserve it, someone who didn't earn it, didn't get it, didn't deserve it, didn't even realize it, and his name was Barabbas. Now, there's a lot of stories about undeserved mercy because, like we say, that's the, the very definition, that, that mercy is undeserved, that mercy is not something that, that anybody should expect. And, and for us in, in, in our country, we, we tend to think of it as something for nothing, right? That, 
that I, I'm getting something for nothing. I, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Uh, still, you give your love away. I, I don't deserve it. And it kind of goes against the grain of our individualism. I work for what I get. I get what I work for. A dollar's work for a, a, a dollar's pay for a day's work. And, and it sort of goes against the grain that somebody gets something for nothing. It's, it's undeserved. But as the lady said to Napoleon, that's the whole point, that it's all undeserved. Jesus told a story one time, a parable, he called it a a story with a point. It wasn't necessarily supposed to be true, but he said, you know, there was this landowner, this guy who owned a vineyard, and uh, he had a a problem with his labor, kind of like we do in the nursery, Bridget. Uh, And he, he, he went to whatever version of the the, the job site was, and he, he said, I need to hire some workers. And it was early in the morning, and he, and he brought the workers on, and as he observed what was going on, it wasn't going fast enough, so he went back and got some more workers. And, and each time he said, I'll give you a day's pay to come work for me. So he went early in the morning, he went mid-morning, he went back mid-afternoon, he still wasn't getting the work done, so he went back late afternoon with just maybe an hour or two left to go in the day. And he says, I need more workers. And they come on. And, and, and at the end of the day, the, the paymaster is settling up. And he paid everybody the same. Gave everybody the same wage. And what you're thinking in your heart right now is kind of the same thing that the, the workers, especially those who showed up early in the morning. And Jesus phrased the response this way. He said, is the landowner... In his words, am I not allowed to do whatever I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Now, I I speak all the time thanking you guys for your generosity to this church, The, 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 the way that you give whether you give in person or in the boxes outside, now we're letting you give with credit cards or text or online. We'll take your money anyway we can get it. But we thank you for your generosity, which means that you're giving us something that you had, and now we can do with it whatever we need to do with it. The landowner here, he says, it's mine. It's, it's my generosity is my business. And he's trying to make us think of God. He's trying to make us think that God is generous to us even though maybe we got in late in life, maybe as late as the thief on the cross. I don't know. Maybe we hadn't got in at all. He says the same grace, the same mercy, the same eternal life, the same abundant life is available to you. But the point wasn't so much see how long you can wait before you finally get it together. The point was, do you understand the wideness of God's mercy? And that's really the the point of the thief on the cross. It's the the point of Les Mis. It's the the point of all of it is that, that, that God is bigger than the junk in our lives. And so then we come to a guy named Barabbas. This is a quote I love about the parable of the vineyard. Uh, Jesus' story makes no economic sense, and that was his intent. 
He was given us a parable about grace, which cannot be calculated like a day's wages. The employer in Jesus' story didn't cheat the full-day workers. No, the full-day workers got what they were promised. The discontent arose from the scandalous mathematics of grace. So what do you do when somebody is just so bad? Truth is, we all kind of like it when there's somebody a little worse than us, <laughs> don't we? We kind of we think about what we've been given and go, hey, we're better than them. Let me tell you a hypothetical story. Let's just say that a pastor and his wife were driving, I don't know, to Louisiana, <laughs> hypothetically. Driving along at whatever speed limit, my friends have coached me, that, uh, this pastor, this hypothetical pastor that this speed limit is just enough over the limit to where the police will leave you alone. Cruise control. Lady comes by me in a Toyota, like she's late for prom, and I'm going, yeah, she doesn't have the same advice I do. Crest the hill, she gets lit up, police pulled her over, I drive by her, and I do what you would do. I'm in the wrong, okay? I've just done a little worse than, than she did. It's not like she was in a, a Ferrari going 150, but, but she got what she deserved, and the truth is that she got what I deserved. I just needed to put it in perspective. And, and we always like it when we find somebody just a little worse than us. Let me read you the story I want to handle today. And I'm reading from Matthew's version, Matthew 27. There's way too many verses to put on the screen, so if you can find it in your Bible or your phone or there's a Bible in the pew in front of you, in a rack in the chair in front of you, this is Matthew chapter 27, and it's a, it's a great story. Now Jesus stood before the governor. We know that that governor's name is Pilate, Pontius Pilate, and he was the Roman governor of Judea. So he was the Roman official. There was also a Jewish official. His name was Herod Antipas, or, or the son of Herod the Great. And they both kind of stayed at the same place. Herod the Great had built this magnificent palace, and so they had carved out a part of that to be the, the Roman place of business called the Praetorium. And then Herod lived on the other end of it, and whenever the Roman governor was in Jerusalem, he was in residence. Usually he lived uh, on the ocean over the, the Caesarea Maritime on the sea because it was cooler there and not the hustle and bustle. But whenever there was a holiday, he would go to Jerusalem. So this is the Passover, big holiday, he's there. Jesus stood before him. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, well, you say so. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't give an answer. And then Pilate said, don't you hear what they're saying about you? But he gave him no answer. It was at this time that in John's gospel, by the way, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all tell this story, and, and a few of them add a few different details. In John's version, about this time, Pilate is so overcome with what Jesus is saying, he says, what is truth? What is truth anyway? Jesus didn't answer him, and, and then uh, in Luke, it records that 
Pilate said, I don't want to deal with you anymore. He said, go down the hall and see Herod, the Jewish leader, see what he has to say. All the Jewish leader wanted him to do was do miracles. When Jesus wouldn't do miracles for him, he sent him back to Pilate, and so here we are. So verse 15 says, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner that they wanted. This was called the Passover pardon. In other words, at the Passover every year, the Roman governor would release uh, some prisoner to try to make the Jewish people happy, usually a Jewish person who had committed some atrocity and turn him loose. And I'm going, this doesn't make any sense to me. Pilate was a brutal man. He was cruel. Why would he do anything like this? And I remember how many presidents pardon a whole bunch of people on their last day of office. And how many governors grant clemency? And basically, it's a way that a leader can show power. I have the power over a person's life, and all of a sudden, it makes sense to me that, that, the, that Pilate, the Roman governor, every year, he turns somebody loose. Well, okay, keep reading. And when they had then a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. Now, notorious doesn't really cut it. Because Barabbas was a murderer and a robber, and they label him as an insurrectionist. And this is what's so crazy, that the one thing that really upset Rome was that the peace is violated. Some of you remember the Pax Romana from your history classes. If the peace was violated, everybody gets in trouble. So Pilate feared most the peace being violated in Jerusalem. So it's crazy that he would offer to let this guy go. And it occurs to me that it's almost like an object lesson. It's like the, the serial killer, the guy they make movies about, and Pilate is sort of just throwing out there, you don't want to let him go, do you? And thinking everybody would go, of course not. That guy's scary. He needs to be off the streets. But in this particular case, for some reason, the crowd voted for him. Now, it's, it's always good, it seems like, that we can point to somebody worse than us. And that may be the point in, in this story. As, as the story goes, uh, the, the Scripture says, who do you want me to release for you, Jesus or Barabbas? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him. There's something really interesting here. If you have the NIV version, it translates it a little differently. It says, do you want me to release for you Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Christ? Now, not all the, the scholars agree on the language. That's why it's not in all of the Bibles. But the NIV thought enough of it to bring it to us, to make us think about it. Jesus was a pretty common first name. The word bar means son of. So Jesus would have been known in his earthly as Jesus bar Joseph, Jesus son of Joseph. And so Barabbas would be the son of the father, Abba. So, Pilate is kind of playing with them. 
you want me to release Jesus, the Son of the Father, or Jesus, the Son of God? Which one do you want me to turn loose? Besides that, another whole sermon, maybe a sermon series, his wife had a dream and said to her husband, hey, leave this guy alone, don't have anything to do with him. And then verse 21 Uh, Verse 20, the chief priest, the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to destroy Jesus. The governor said again, which of the two do you want me to release for you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said, and here's that question, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. Pilate said, why? He hasn't done anything. They all shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So today's Palm Sunday, right? And if you've ever been to church ever in your life, especially if you were younger, maybe on this day the children waved palm branches and, and we celebrated the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem in that last week of His life that we call Holy Week. And the question kind of comes to my mind What happened that the people who waved palm branches and said, Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, what in the world happened in five days to make them so angry on Friday? What what changed with those people? I have two thoughts. First thought, I think it's different people. I'm pretty sure that the crowd that was allowed into Herod's palace, the praetorium, for this conversation, I'm pretty sure they they didn't let anybody in who was pro-Jesus, pro-Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure that they only let in the people that they knew they could incite to this kind of anger. Maybe people who were sort of attached to the idea that emotion is more important than truth. That reminds you of any culture, maybe ours in the 21st century. And their emotion was was manipulated to a fever pitch to the point that if you keep reading in the story that we were reading, the people eventually said, crucify Him and may His blood be on us and our children. Who says that? And yet they were whipped up into this frenzy. So, so I'm guessing, one, it was a different crowd. But the part that got personal with me is that I think they were a lot like us and that they were looking for a different kind of Messiah. They thought that Jesus was going to come into town, kick out the Romans, end the occupation, restore Jewish prominence, everything would be great. Instead, here's this pathetic-looking human being who's been whipped beyond recognition, beaten, scourged. It looks like he's on the way to be crucified. That doesn't have any earmarks of kicking out anybody. He is this passive Messiah who's healed some people, who's taught some very nice things, but he's not our kind of guy. This guy, Barabbas, if we can get him released, he's an insurrectionist. He's a a revolutionary. He's at Guantanamo, where as soon as we release him, he's going to get back into action. 
That's the kind of Messiah I want. Somebody who's going to solve my problems. And all of a sudden, I have a lot more understanding of the people who were yelling to crucify him because it was really about Barabbas being the choice. We want a revolutionary. Well, they were both revolutionaries. It's just that they couldn't understand the kind of revolutionary that Jesus was. So they cried out for Barabbas. Pilate said, it's, it's our custom to release him. The Passover pardon. Who do you want? Give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. May his blood be on us and our children. So what do we do with all this? How do you answer the question, what shall I do with this Jesus who's called the Christ? How, how, do, we, how, how do we shape that? How do, we, how do we define the kind of Messiah, not maybe that we want, but the kind of Messiah we need, the, 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 the kind who looks at us and, and maybe we're not as bad as Barabbas. Maybe we're not as bad as the lady in the Toyota. Maybe we're great. But if we get deep down into our secret thoughts, we know we don't deserve the things that God has given us, that God is offering us. And that's a really interesting thing about Barabbas. We don't know what he did with this. And I kind of like that part of the story in that the, the mystery is there. He is, if you think about it, he is the first person that Jesus died for. And we don't know what he did with that gift. We don't know what He did with His mercy. We don't know what He did with His freedom. He's never mentioned in Scripture again. He's never in any of the history books. We think that if He'd become a Christian, maybe somebody would have written about Him. All we know is that He doesn't deserve it, and He is given it. And He walked away, and Jesus went to the cross. One of my favorite stories comes out of a video clip. I told you a story a couple of years ago, but I want to show you the clip. And there's a Scottish preacher named Alistair Begg, and he was preaching a, a lecture series at Baylor University. And he was talking about that, that, that issue of the cross and mercy undeserved. And, and he starts this part of the message with the idea that, that we all imagine that we will one day stand at the gates of heaven and somebody will ask us, what is it that means I should let you in? And we pick the clip up there. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend, 
You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. The man on the middle cross said, I could come. Don't deserve it. Hadn't earned it. Don't understand it. I begged for mercy, and he gave it. He died. He rose again. He is with God. He sent the Holy Spirit. The man in the middle said, I could come. What shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? Would you pray with me? Each week during our messages, we have asked you to write on a piece of paper a person who might be indicated by some of the things that we've said and sung that, that, that identified with one of the Easter people. This is the last Sunday we'll do this, but there's a little slip of paper on or near your seat. I wonder if there's someone who needs to answer that question. What shall I do with this Jesus they call the Christ? What shall I do? What has to happen for me to embrace this mercy, this grace? Can I get I out of the way and move to the third person because he? And it could very well be that you need to write your name on the paper because you need to embrace the man in the middle. You, you need to say the man in the middle cross that I could come. You need to, to finally do away with all of those things that you're thinking about that make it where you don't deserve any of this. And embrace this scripture that says no, none of us do. We have all earned damnation. We have all earned his, uh, uh, his justice. But instead, he offers us. Ephesians is one of my, my heart passages where Paul says we were dead in our sins, but God. We were 
overcome by our guilt, but God, we were overcome with our depression, our anxiety, our shame. We're, we're overcome with all of those things that weigh us down every week, but God, He sent His only Son to that middle cross, and that's the one who said we could come. Perhaps you would write your name on that. Allow us to pray for you. You can, in just a moment, take it over here to the cross where we've stapled all the rest of them. And we'll put yours up. We won't have them up next week for Easter, but we will pray for every single one of them. And if you want us to contact you about your relationship with Christ, about the possibility of you being baptized, would you, would you take a risk and put a little more information on that little slip of paper? Give me a, an email or a phone number or something. And I promise you, in the next 48 hours, we will follow up. We will contact you. We will have that conversation about what it means that the man on the middle cross said you could come. Maybe you're praying for somebody else. They desperately need this. They're, they, they're running into walls and they don't even know why. Put their name down. And let's just agree as a church that we're going to pray. If you're online, you can do all of this on the message board, all of this on the chat board. Pastor Gary is watching. Father, it's an amazing truth that based on nothing that we've done and everything that you've done, that we are allowed mercy. And when we embrace that mercy, when we receive that gift, we are transformed. We become your followers. We may not figure it all out, but we have access to all the resources of heaven because you said we could come. Lord, bless the people that are here as they're struggling. Bless the people in line who are trying to figure this thing out that this is a moment where you reach down and you say, I said you could come. That what you've done, I forgive. What you are, I embrace. What you will be, I can envision. Come. Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name.